Hey, you guys, I want to let you know about Book of the Month, an exciting service that helps readers discover great new books while also promoting the work of emerging authors. Every month, the editorial team at Book of the Month reads through hundreds of new titles. They do the curating for you. They narrow it down to five to seven of the best new books on the market, and you get to choose your Book of the Month. To sign up, just visit bookofthemonth.com. And for a limited time, you can get your first book for just $9.99 by using the offer code CHIRP, C-H-I-R-P. I should add that Book of the Month recently launched curated audiobooks in addition to hardcovers, so members have options. You can choose one or the other, either the hardcover edition or the audiobook. And if you pick the audiobook, you can download it and listen to it right there in the Book of the Month app. My latest pick is a novel called Anita DeMonte Laughs Last by Sochil Gonzalez. It tells the story of a forgotten art star of the 1980s who died tragically and whose life and work and memory are later unearthed by an art history student. This is right up my alley. I can't wait to read it. So if you want to sign up for Book of the Month, remember, go to bookofthemonth.com and for a limited time, Get your first book for just $9.99 by using the code CHIRP, C-H-I-R-P. One more time, that's bookofthemonth.com. Use the code CHIRP and get reading. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. This is Brad Listy. This is The Other People Show. I am in Los Angeles. It's good to be with you. I hope you're doing all right, and I appreciate you tuning in. It's Friday, so it's time for another flashback episode. Today, I'm going to be sharing an outtake from episode 374, my conversation with author Matt Summel. It first aired on August 5th, 2015. Matt Summel is the author of the story collection, Making Nice. It's a novel in stories, I should say. And it is available now in trade paperback from Picador. An outtake from that conversation is coming up momentarily. A quick reminder that I do a weekly email newsletter. I would love it if you would sign up. You can do so for free over at otherppl.com or bradlesty.com. Likewise, you can join the Other People Patreon community at patreon.com slash otherpplpod. So if you like this show and you want to help see it continue into the future, go to patreon.com slash other PPL pod. Today's episode is brought to you by Pelicanesis Press, publisher of Mountain Lion Blues. The new novel by Adam Greenfield, Mountain Lion Blues, is a surreal, dark comedy about the obstacles that we place in our own way, obstacles that keep us from the love, success, and well-being that we have been taught to expect. Mountain Lion Blues is part absurdist love story and part existential noir. It speaks to the mountain lion-sized hole in all of us. That's Mountain Lion Blues, the new novel by Adam Greenfield, available 
right now from Pelicanesis Press. Today's episode is also brought to you by Abrams Books, publisher of Idlewild, a darkly funny debut novel by James Frankie Thomas. Idlewild is set at a Quaker high school in Lower Manhattan. This is a campus novel. It's a book about complicated relationships, and it takes a very fresh angle on queer and trans identity. The story involves Faye, who is prickly, aloof, and obsessed with gay men, and Nell, who is shy, sensitive, and obsessed with Faye. The two of them bond fiercely over being outcasts. And then during rehearsals for the fall play, they notice two sexually ambiguous boys. The pairs become mirrors of one another, and they drive each other to make choices that they will end up regretting for the rest of their lives. Idlewild is the official September pick of the Other People Book Club. It nails the heartbreak of being a theater kid and the humiliation of growing up. That's Idlewild by James Frankie Thomas, available now everywhere books are sold from Abrams Books. All right, so it is time for today's flashback. Again, you are going to be hearing an outtake from episode 374, my conversation with Matt Summel. It first aired on August 5th, 2015. You can listen to the full episode if you like what you hear in this outtake. Go find it in the feed. It is there. Matt Summel is a graduate of UC Irvine's MFA program, and his fiction has appeared all over the place in Esquire, The Paris Review, Electric Literature, One Story, Noon, and elsewhere. His novel and stories is called Making Nice. It is available now in trade paperback from Picador, and I'm happy to share this outtake. This was a fun conversation, as I recall, and I think you're going to like it. So here we go. This is me in conversation with Matt Summel. My process has changed a lot, like from when I started. I think I, you know, I was editing as I went, which was crippling. Like I'd write a sentence and then I'd, I'd spend, you know, hours trying to make that sentence right before I move on to the next sentence. Um, and I didn't give myself permission to suck. Plus you're, te- yeah, you're tearing stuff down. Before, that you don't even need, yeah. Before you have it, because I think this is the thing, like... You wind up uh, either making the writing overwrought or you never give yourself a chance to make any progress. Like the thing is just constantly caving in on itself because you keep knocking it down. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I do. That's what I do. That's that's (laughs) what I'm doing right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, For this Esquire story, I'm like months late on. You write for, like you've published a lot in Esquire. A few. How did that happen? Uh... Well, after they rejected me because they rejected a lot too. You were just slush piling? Just sending them in? Yeah, actually, it was Mark Richard who's who's wait, was it Mark Richard who sent it to Esquire? No, he sent it to uh, Harper's. He sent a story to Harper's. Um, I think I was yeah. I mean, initially I was slush piling everywhere, um, and I started getting lucky. I, actually, it's a really interesting story. Again, Mark Richard when I when I first started sending stuff out, he was like, you know, Matt, I started at the top and I never looked back. You know, I never looked back. I just I published at Harper's first or something like that or you know somewhere up there, and I was like, okay. That's what I'm going to do, man. I want to start at the top and never look back. I'm just going to, you know. And um, so I started just accumulating rejections very quickly. 
so what was like what's embedded in that advice the advice is like don't bother uh submitting to like the littler places go for the big fish that i think he was just telling me what his path was I think that's I, a pretty I think good I, path. Yeah, it's a great path <laughs> if you're Jesus. that if you're that talented. Yeah, and so I had that in mind, and I kept like submitting my stories to places who had no interest in me whatsoever. And then a friend of a, a friend of mine named um, Hugh Merwin, out in New York, just handed my stories to some friends of his at Brooklyn College who were running the Brooklyn Review, and they wanted one. And I initially I was like, no, man. I'm starting at the top and I'm never looking back. No, no way you can't have this. I didn't even submit this. No way. Yeah. And then I asked Mark, you know, he was persistent. Uh, and then I asked Mark what he thought. And he goes, don't be an idiot, Matt. Of course you give it to them. They're in New, in, they're in New York and you never know who they're going to be. They want your story. They're going to be grateful for it. And you never know who they're going to become. Those guys went on to start Electric Literature. Oh, my God. Yeah. Andy well, Hunter and Scott Lindenbaum. Yeah. And... Um, and they've been champions of mine ever since. So they, they published me in electric literature. They introduced me to or, or introduced my work to Lauren Stein at the Paris Review. They introduced me to my agent, Nicole Raji, who, you know. Good agent. Great agent. Uh, amazing. And and she, you know, I don't know. I think that's what I've been, like Esquire had said no to a couple of things on my own. But when she submitted it, they seemed to take a renewed interest. That You know, that that's where it makes a difference. It does. You know, because they have those relationships and certain agents, I feel like. You know they have that kind of reputation. If they're representing something, people are going to pay attention because they know it's going to be of a certain quality. Right, right. Uh, so I've been tremendously lucky with having her. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Okay, well, let's let's go backwards, okay? Okay. Well, first of all, where are you from? You sound like you're from back east. I am. Yeah. I'm from Long Island, all right. New York. A little right. town called Oakdale. And how was, that, how was that growing up? I loved it. You know, it wasn't, I don't think it's the typical Long Island. Well, maybe it is. I don't know. There were meatheads around and stuff like that, but... Um, like you into Billy Joel? Is that kind of is it that kind of thing? Yes, I just made one. For, I made a, uh, a a playlist for Large Hearted Boy. Billy Joel's on there, Mister Long Island himself. You know, he tried to kill himself with Lemon Pledge once or something. Yeah, yeah, but it was yeah. like I, th- I mean, I read about that in an interview he did, and he was like, it, he, he tried to like downplay it. He was like, it was kind of a weak attempt. Like it wasn't. He didn't come close. Like yeah. He, kind of drank some pledge and then just like felt shitty and maybe went to the doctor yeah, or whatever. Yeah, because of like some early thing he released wasn't a huge success. Yeah. Yeah. But he, I, uh, did you read that New Yorker uh, profile of him recently? No. How he's doing that concert like once a month in Manhattan down at uh, Madison Square Garden. I didn't know this. And it's like a, a chopper like picks him up at his Long Island like <laughs> mansion, <laughs> flies him into Midtown. It's because he can't drive anymore. Well, he can, but. Yeah, he, he doesn't just, need he kept to wrecking his car, right, or his motorcycles or whatever. But yeah, the point is that like he lives this really like sort of placid. I mean, guy's sixty, sixty-five or something, you know, years old. So yeah. he's, he's slowing down. 
he lives like a very placid, slow, easy life, 29 days a month. And then one day a month, a chopper picks him up, takes him into Madison Square Garden, and he's like, he compared himself to like Genghis Khan or something. You walk out there and there's like, <laughs> everyone's, I mean, it's a pretty good gig. It's a great gig. I, I really like the profile of him that, that Stern, Howard Stern did. You know, how he's on Stern all the time. Yeah. Right? Didn't he do something for like the Howard Stern, uh, like ce- birthday celebration? Of course. Yeah, yeah. He was on. I remember that. Yeah. And then they did a whole Billy Joel show where all these like, other pop artists sang Billy Joel songs and stuff like that. I don't know. I, yeah. I grew up listening to Billy Joel. He's in all the jukeboxes and all the bars I used to hang out in. And, right. Well, that's and, okay. It's nice it's to hear you. On. It's nice to hear you embrace because I feel like sometimes people, you know, they grow up in a certain place and there is a artist or a kind of music that's connected to that region. And I feel like people either re, you know accept it or reject it. It doesn't seem like there's usually a middle ground. It's like they either embrace it or it's like fuck that guy. I'm, yeah, you know, I don't want anything to do with. I think that. I've probably been a little bit of both over the years, but like looking back now, I'm like, no, I actually I like this stuff. I was, I don't, you know, I think Chuck Klosterman wrote like a definitive essay on like the appeal of Billy Joel to, and I think it's like my generation. You're, I mean, we're the same age, like we're uh-huh. 39 years old. Like there was something about that he wrote, and I'm paraphrasing badly, that you know about why uh, Billy Joel was appealing to young men, you know, in their early adolescence in like the late 80s early 90s or whatever it was mid 80s right but like there was a period of my life i bought every single billy joel album and i had it on cassette tape cassette. and I, nice. I, I i was I, I knew everything about him every word to every one of his songs uh-huh what what is it about his music that appeals it's catchy man i don't know and I, I, angry young man i mean i can captain I, I, jack captain jack <laughs> got me by tonight <laughs> Down Easter Alexa. I uh, mean, see, yeah, he started to lose me when he got into Stormfront. Like Down Easter Alexa, <laughs> that was where he started to like wear yeah. sun, wear sunglasses all the time. I was like, what is he doing? Uh-huh. He did a lot of cocaine in the eighties. Okay, I think he did. Well, seemed like a lot of cocaine. Uh, why not? Yeah, <laughs> Billy Joel. Billy Joel. Well, now Gene Ween is singing Billy Joel songs. Do you see this? No. He's like he does. He he goes out. He actually they look alike now. And he, wait, who's Gene Ween? From Ween, man. Oh, from Ween. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Gene Ween and and Diener, Diener Ween. Okay. But you know they broke up. <laughs> yeah. So, you know I think Gene Ween is is singing Billy Joel covers. That's it. I think. As a uh, as a thing. As a thing. Okay. And it's good, and there's video of it. On but YouTube. you know what? There's gonna be there's gonna be room. I find that there are certain like uh, musical acts like the. You ever seen Super Diamond? No. Okay. Super Diamond, like Neil Diamond, is an is a comparable act. There's a a strange kitsch. And uh, widespread uh, affection and like cross generational affection uh-huh. for his music. And when somebody gets to that level, uh, same thing with like Dark Star Orchestra with the Grateful Dead. Right. You have these bands that form where they just are like, you know, uh, impersonators essentially. Uh huh. And they play that music. Yeah. And they make a shit ton of money. I always see those things on like Sunset Boulevard. It's like, yeah. Uh, yeah, they have all those like 80s bands. And I just went for the 4th of July, I went to this. Um, I guess you call it a young person's party. I don't know. I ended up on the west side over there in Santa Monica. Uh-huh. And there was a DJ, uh, this girl, Haley, who I know. Uh, and she was just like spinning 80s and 90s songs, like, and somewhat ironically. But I was like, no, I really grew up to these fucking songs, and they are awesome. What are you, what, are yeah. you making fun? What are you doing? Yeah. Like, was this know. ironic? Okay, here's a question. I had this posed to me the other day, and I had a very emphatic response. I just want to see if we're in agreement. Okay. Which was the better uh, decade musically, the 80s or the 90s? God. <laughs> that's so tough. I mean, look, the 80s are like, that's when I, that's, that's when I came up. The 86 Mets. 
I mean, that was, that like was prime your... time, and that's when you're like, I think you're most influenced, yeah, right? So yeah. like, but what what? It was happier music in the '80s. I loved. I, I said the '80s. Yeah, I'm gonna go the '80s. You're I think the, the '80s were an awesome decade of, mm-hmm. for music. It was just an awesome decade. It holds up. Yeah, and uh, I don't know, like the new wave, like the very tail end of uh, punk. But I was into grunge. Yeah, grunge in high school. I mean, but yeah. I don't know, man. I like it does. It, it doesn't hold up as much. Well, Nirvana does, but like Nirvana did. and yeah, that's the Pearl Jam kind of. I mean, maybe Helmet. I, I like Helmet. Yeah, I don't eh. know what. What else did I listen to? Stompbox. <laughs> I, I was out of it a little bit, but the '80s when I listen to it now, I uh-huh. feel like holds up better. Okay, it evokes something for me. Maybe that's the innocence of childhood. I think so. It could I be think it. It has something to do with it. Um, okay, so speaking of innocence of childhood, mm-hmm. d- let's talk some more about Long Island. You grow up there. You. Uh, you what do your parents do? My father uh, is in prosthetics and orthotics. In what? Prosthetics and orthotics. He makes like shoe inserts. He make, no, he makes artificial legs. Okay. And arms. Himself. And hands. Yeah, he would like craft them. He designs them. Yeah. Uh, well, now they're all myoelectric and high tech, but you can buy the components like in Germany, right? From like Autobach. Uh-huh. We actually visited the the factory over there one time. Okay. On a business trip. But, you know, he really did lose his leg on a Harley when he was 19. He got hit by a bus. Oh, shit. Uh, they covered him with a sheet. He was gargling blood. His leg was knocked off. Oh, and God. Coma for 90 days, you know, whatever. And then he. Wait, covered. what happened? He was just in, a, in an accident, got hit? Yeah, he was uh, He was in the Navy. Uh huh. And they they dispatched him to go pick up um, someone who was, who was getting in trouble with the MP, someone who was, like, drunk at the bar. And, you know, I think the commanding officer came out and said, like, hey, who has a car? And my dad just said, I don't, but I have a, a Harley. I got a, I got my bike. And they went, look, go get him. Uh, otherwise, he's going to get arrested. So he went to um, to the bar. But I guess since he, he was on subs and since he'd gone out and come back, they had changed an intersection or something like that. I'm not really quite sure. But, you know, he ran this light and he just got uh, – he T-boned a, a, a bus. Ugh. Um, and he wasn't wearing a helmet. Oh, fuck. And uh, – you know, had his head crushed in and frontal lobe damage, you know, the whole thing. Did he recover, like, mentally? Yes. I mean, clearly, the guy's been making prosthetics and... Well, he still uses it as an excuse to act like a fucking <laughs> maniac. <laughs> you know, and he still, he's like, goes to the VA all the time and gets Ritalin and he just, like, you know, powers through his day on, on you know, methylphenidate. Yeah. But, uh, uh, he look, he did he did um, what I think is, like, this amazing trick in life is where you take these... You know, Jeffrey Wolf said this to me in graduate school. Use the good luck of bad luck. And so he started working for the VA after he lost his leg and um, learned, learned the trade. Yeah. And then he ended up opening up his own his own place with a partner, and they, they were successful for like 30-something years. That's in, awesome. In orthopedics, yeah. That's pretty cool. And it's also not only, it's not, not only successful uh, financially, but also like it's a nice thing to be doing. Yeah, he actually really does love to help people. And, well, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's he, meaningful. He made a... Um, an artificial leg for a, a a girl's a little girl's pet chicken. Okay. Yeah, like the, a fox had gotten into the house, the hen house or something like that, and shoot off a chicken's leg, and he like would spend like a day or two like figuring out how to give this chicken a, a fake leg. <laughs> and I think he also did it for a horse as well. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, and then what about your mom? She was an RN. All right. Uh, and, Another noble profession. And uh, and a Lamaze instructor. Okay. Yeah. So there was always like ladies around the house, pregnant ladies around the house. and Breathing. And breathing <laughs> and coming back later with like, you know, to show off what came out of them. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. 
And um, you know any Lamas or did you pick up anything? I, I I'm I, getting ready to go in. I could use some of this. We don't do this anymore. Like uh, my wife does. We didn't take Lamas or anything. I I no. I don't know anything. I just remember there was like weird dolls around where you could like, you know, pull a baby out of a fake vagina, <laughs> stuff like that. It's still there. Like a lot of it's still in the house where I grew up. Okay. But yeah, and then she also became a nurse investigator for New York State. What does that mean? I mean, uh, she she investigated doctors for malpractice on behalf of the state. All right. She was, I mean, she'd done this since she was like, you know, 18 or something like that. Was a was a, a nurse in, in mostly like... Uh, emergency rooms like trauma nurse you know and and sort of had seen everything and this was her whole life she was really bright and um so she uh knew her stuff enough to where she would like go in and sort of ask the right questions and investigate these doctors and there's a lot of really shitty doctors out there and so there's a lot of cases this episode is brought to you by paramount plus get in loser mean girls is now streaming on paramount plus join katie heron as she meets the plastics and tina fey's new twist on the modern classic get ready for more of the rumors backstabbing and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises rated pg-13 wear pink and head to paramountplus.com to try it free does monday at the office feel like a storm not with microsoft copilot that feeling when copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly it's sunny again When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Okay, so this is I've talked about this on this show before when it comes to the medical profession, but it's one of these professions that's sort of uh, like an automatic conference of goodness and legitimacy happens when you get that degree and you get that MD, but not all doctors are created equal. The profession is, uh, I don't know. Uh, I have like, I guess I have some antipathy towards that, uh, set of circumstances, like, because I've been through chronic pain, you know, with my back and I've gone in and like seen doctors and like, right. It's clear that these guys are just cashing checks. Like they don't know how to fix it, but they're going to tell you that they do. And or they're going to, they're going to say, let's cut you open. Yeah. Or, or something uh, like that. Yeah, take this pill. Yep. Right. Let's right. do this. Yeah. Let's just try, they're just like, yeah, whatever. We got to let's turn it over. It's like turning tables. Well, I go and I'm a pale, you know, uh, white guy. So I go into the dermatologist. I try to be like, I want to do the right thing and like take care of myself. So I'll go in and get a checkup to make sure I don't have any like, you know, skin cancer or anything. Right. But then it's like once they know you're coming in, I feel like they're always cutting stuff off. And it's like, did that really need to come off? Or are right. they just like making their money and they, they got and, big, they got big student loans to pay off. Come, yeah. Come back in six months. You know, I don't know. No, it is. It, it does seem like big business, and I've I've definitely had like really good experiences, and 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 I think pretty pretty terrible ones. Yeah. Um, so your mom was investigating people for malpractice, and yeah, yeah. In fact, one of them, I I sort of helped her out. She, I don't, I, I'm, I shouldn't say this, but because I don't think it was legal, but <laughs> she she's dead, so it's okay. Um, there was a, a, I guess really early on, probably it's probably the '90s or the early 2000s. Um, like the one of the first guys doing like penal enlargements or something like that. Uh-huh. And she was like, "Why don't you call, uh, and pretend to be an interested client?" And well, how she was old like were you? Mangling. How were you? Eight I years was old. In college. <laughs> this was last year. <laughs> uh, no, and she. So so I called, and it was like this really weird scenario. So where you call, and then they go, "Okay, we're going to call you back," because they wanted to check your their like your phone number and that you were like a real like where you were calling from. Okay. 
and it was this whole weird back and forth thing that had to happen where I had to try to like prove my 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 sincere interest in in this, and that I wasn't because I think they already knew that they were under investigation. Oh, okay. Uh, and they were, you know, it's like the person who killed Kanye West's mom or something. It was like some fucking quack uh, who who didn't know what the hell they were doing, and then you know, and just was like mangling dudes' dicks. Oh my god, <laughs> on a regular basis. Yeah. And so my mom was like, "Yeah, we will. This is my latest case." Maybe you can help me figure something out. Did she take him down? I have no idea. No idea. Yeah. They Maybe he's still out there. He's good still out there. <laughs> making, yep. making mangling penises. Yep. Um, okay. So any siblings? Yeah. Okay. We got an older sister and a younger brother. So right in the middle. Right in the middle. I'm a middle child. You're a middle child. Yeah. They you say it's got something to do with it. I don't know. They say middle children. I've, I've always heard like negative things about being the middle child. Like you're star for attention. You're the overlooked one. Yeah. You're not the oldest. So you're not like the shining right. star. That's why I act out. Is this? Is that right? I don't know. I don't know either. Okay. I've ne- I never felt overlooked. Maybe which is maybe a credit to my parents. I never felt overlooked, but in hindsight, I probably was overlooked. You were. I don't know. <laughs> but look, but don't you think like the third kid or something is always the best one or the baby? I think my little sister, when I assess us today, has a certain, she had, there was a, a loose, uh, a looser approach by my parents when she was younger. Like she got to, yeah. she got to live with my sister when she was in high school. My parents moved and she wanted to finish high school where she had been. They just let her live with my sister for the last year and a half. They would have never let me do that. Let this be a lesson to you as a father. Yeah. Just leave them alone. Just leave them alone. Just don't even talk to them. Don't give them all of your anxieties. Right. Right. Just be like, I don't know. Hope don't, you live. Don't transfer. <laughs> no, but you know, I'm, I'm serious. Like you, uh, I say this to myself repeatedly. Like what I do, way more important than what I say. Like lecturing, talking, teaching. That impulse as a parent is strong, but it's more important to just live it. Just be like a living example of what you hope your kids will turn out to be. Oh no. What? <laughs> I can never have children. <laughs> it'll be it, it's challenging. It'll be fucked up. Yeah, yeah. It's hard. I yeah. mean, really, and you fuck up a lot. Like it's in, in, inevitable that you yeah. will. I think, and and you just have to try to, um, you know, have more hits than misses. I honestly think. I mean, like, and maybe this is why I. I guess what I, what I realize about myself is that I I've had tremendous anxiety for a long time. Uh, like I, debilitating, like diagnosable or clinical anxiety. <laughs> I don't know if it's yeah. I mean, I've been well. People ask what I'm working on now, and I'm always like my mental health, <laughs> right? Like I have some money to go to the therapist. And really, what I've sort of figured out in the last year and a half, going for two hours every week, was was oh my god, everything I've ever done is because I was like tremendously anxious. The uh-huh. reason I drank, you know, like a maniac. You was, sober now? No. You still drink? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course. I'm still anxious, man. <laughs> no, but I, I've cut back. Yeah. Um. Why? I, why I would like r- get up and run? You know, before school or what? I like take eight o'clock classes in college, and before that, wake up at five and run seven miles. You know, wow, and come back and smoke cigarettes. Uh huh. Why I jerked off like a fucking maniac? Okay. You know why? Why you do any of these things? Is I was like, oh, I guess I just had really tremendous anxiety. All right. So here, let me. Okay. Because then I, I'm I'm anxious too. Because I have to like exercise to be sane. Uh-huh. I don't know, are you one of those people? Yeah. Yeah. Of okay. Course. That's not that bad. No, that's not bad. I mean, you know, like I guess like a, the anxiety would be great if I wasn't as anxious and I didn't maybe need it because I do feel on a certain, like especially certain days, I'll be like, if I don't do something physical, right, I'm just going to not be a good person today. Yeah. I'm going to have a hard time. Or I do it. I go, if I don't do something physical, I'm going to be a worse person 
person than the not good person that I'm gonna be anyway. <laughs> right. I'm gonna uh, take it to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. All right, everybody. There we go. That is an outtake from episode 374, my conversation with author Matt Summel. It first aired on August 5th, 2015. You can find Matt Summel on the internet at mattsummel.com. He's on Twitter. He's on Instagram. His novel and stories is called Making Nice, available in trade paperback from Picador. Don't forget to subscribe to this show wherever you listen. You can also subscribe on YouTube, follow the show on social media, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and Blue Sky. Sign up for my free once-a-week email newsletter at otherppl.com or bradlisty.com. And if you want to join the Patreon community, please do that over at patreon.com slash otherpplpod. If you have a couple of minutes and you want to do me a quick favor, go rate this show wherever you listen, whatever platform you're listening on. Give the show a rating, write a review. If that's an option, it helps the show find new listeners. If you want to get another people t-shirt, you can do that at otherppl.com. Just scroll down, look for the t-shirt. You can't miss it. And finally, a plug for my latest novel. It's called Be Brief and Tell Them Everything. Available now in trade paperback, ebook and audiobook editions. I narrate the audiobook, so I'll read it to you. It's called Be Brief and Tell Them Everything. Okay, so coming up on Sunday, there will be a new episode, another conversation with another author, but I can't tell you yet who it is because I don't have it in the can yet. So it's TBD. I'm too superstitious to make any guarantees until it's done. So... You're going to find out on Sunday. Stay tuned.